Once upon a time, in a time before huntsmen and huntresses, if you can imagine it. The noble Prince Julius lived in the kingdom of Vale. It is said that not only was this Prince Julius virtuous and kind, he was also easily the most handsome prince to ever sit upon the throne. Though life was not easy in those days for citizens of Vale, the whole kingdom sat in joyful anticipation for the day where the dearly loved prince would come of age. Much like the flowers in a garden know that they will see the sun again once they've weathered a fierce storm, the people knew he would rule over the land of Vale with a just and pure heart. The king and queen of Vale also loved the prince dearly, but they feared that as they grew older, they wouldn't live to see the prince married to someone worthy enough to rule by his side. After all, their reign had been a tumultuous one, filled with a great deal of hardship. It had only been through their support of one another that the kingdom still stood. The idea of Prince Julius having to shoulder that burden alone, or with someone unfit for the responsibility of leading a nation, filled the king and queen's thoughts with dread. King Asterius, in particular, feared that Prince Julius's pure heart would in fact blind him to those who meant him and the kingdom ill. As fate would have it, these fears were not unfounded. On the eve of Prince Julius's 18th birthday, the king and queen received a proposition bearing the royal seal of the kingdom of Atlas. The Atlesian king, Claudius, had seen this as an opportunity to unite their kingdoms. He suggested that the young prince should be engaged to his daughter, the beautiful Princess Aconite. Named after the winter aconite that blooms in the snow, the princess was said to be the most beautiful to ever sit on the Atlesian throne, perhaps even the most beautiful princess to have ever lived in Remnant, and one that King Claudius insisted would be worthy of ruling by Prince Julius's side. This proposal gave the king and queen of Vale pause. Though it was true that the Atlesian princess was beautiful, it was also known throughout the land that she was vain and petulant. Much like her namesake, Princess Aconite was said to be like poison to everyone around her, spreading pain and discontent with wicked glee. Out of all of the residents in Remnant, King Asterius could not think of a match more ill-suited for their son. However, they both knew that an outright rejection of this proposal would provoke the Atlesian king, whose temper was said to rival that of the princess. After many hours of deliberation, the king held his head in his hands, exasperated. What are we to do, my love? He asked. We cannot risk war with Atlas, not after our kingdom has suffered so many hardships. An alliance between our kingdoms would be ideal, but I cannot bear the thought of our son wedding someone with such a wicked heart. Queen Gale was silent for a moment, considering their predicament. In order to save face, they would need to come up with an idea that would spare them from the Atlesian king's fury without having to acquiesce to his proposal. Suddenly, the spark of inspiration flashed in her eyes. She turned to her husband with a wry grin. 
My darling, do you think it's possible that we could use one such problem to solve another? The next day, at the feast celebrating Prince Julius's birthday, King Asterius and Queen Gael made a formal declaration to the kingdom of Vale. Citizens of Vale, proclaimed the king, though we have much to be thankful for on this happy day, it is no secret that Vale has suffered greatly. Unrest between our neighboring kingdoms, clans of bandits that bring wanton violence to our peaceful villages, and ravenous monsters that lurk in every dark corner of the wilderness. As you all know, one such monster has brought no end of destruction and devastation to our kingdom. In the past year, a fearsome dragon has plagued our fair kingdom. Queen Gael and I have discussed the matter with our son, and we are all in agreement. Until this beast is destroyed, we cannot in good conscience allow the prince to be wed. The prince stood in agreement. It didn't feel right even holding a celebration today, knowing that this beast is causing our people to suffer. As of today, slaying this monster is the kingdom's top priority. The crowd, though initially stunned, erupted into cheers and applause at this declaration. The king and queen exchanged a subtle look that Prince Julius did not see, one mixed with pride in their son's earnest hope to ease the suffering of their people, and guilt knowing that they had not told him the full truth of the matter. However, his honest wish to not be married until the kingdom was safe was needed if they were to politely decline the Atlesian king's offer. They knew if they had told their son of Claudius's proposal, he would have accepted Princess Aconite's hand for the sake of an alliance, without a single thought of his own happiness. They knew it was a selfish decision to hide the truth from him, but one they would make again without hesitation. The king raised a hand to quiet the applause. When the crowd was silent again, he continued, We are making preparations to meet the beast in battle, but it will take some time to formulate a proper strategy for how to defeat this foe. But every minute spent deliberating means more destruction in this creature's wake. As such, said the queen, we are hereby offering up a reward to any warrior brave enough to undertake this task. If there is anyone in the kingdom who can slay the dragon and bring us its heart as proof, they will receive any one wish that is within our power to grant. The crowd began to whisper to one another. A wish from the king and queen. Could it be true? If so, who would be brave enough to attempt such a feat? The king gave his wife another subtle glance, but she smiled broadly as she took his hand in hers. Offering up a wish seemed like a risky gamble to him, but she had insisted. Queen Gale reasoned that offering up the wish could serve two purposes. First, it would prove the direness of the situation, that this dragon posed such a threat that the king and queen would do anything to see to its destruction. Second, by offering up this task to anyone, they knew that it would not be long before King Claudius would send his own forces to deal with the dragon, intent on using the wish to ensure that the prince would wed the princess. King Claudius would then have no right to complain when the dragon proved to be unbeatable. It was indeed a risky plan, but one that would buy them time that they desperately needed.
and on the off chance that someone actually did manage to slay the beast, then it would indeed be a great service to the kingdom as a whole, a service that more than deserved to be rewarded. The queen squeezed her husband's hand, the way she did when worry always seemed to plague his heart. Trust me, her grasp seemed to say. And so he did. It did not take long for word of the king and queen's declaration to circulate around the kingdom. For weeks, it was all anyone could talk about. It also didn't take long before the scores of bounty hunters and mercenaries began making their way to the corner of the kingdom in which the dragon was rumored to reside. Although no one seemed to be able to confirm these rumors, as none of the hunters and mercenaries ever seemed to return. It was a cold January morning when a young knight in training heard the rumors of the dragon's alleged location. Squire Vincent Valentino was among one of the first to hear the king and queen's proposal, and he had begun making his preparations almost immediately. He had a wish, and if the king and queen were offering him the chance to make it come true, he would undertake any challenge to make it a reality. At least... That's what he had told himself as he began packing for the journey. His instructor, Sir Rosalind, had a differing opinion. You fight a dragon. Don't be absurd, child, she chided him. I'm not a child, he insisted. Although as soon as the words escaped his lips, he knew that hadn't been the most convincing expression. He noted the stern gaze she set on him from the doorway of his room. Her broad stature nearly encompassed the entire frame. He wasn't sure if he would be able to make it past her if she felt inclined to try and stop him. A dragon was one thing. Sir Rosalind was another. He took a breath. He had to choose his words carefully before continuing. I am old enough now to complete my training and become a Knight of the Crown. And, as a knight, it is my duty to defend the realm. Don't play the chivalry card with me, squire. You may be skilled with a sword, but you are no match for the monsters that plague this land. You haven't even mastered your phantasmal ability yet. In those times, a person's aura was known as their phantasmal essence, and a person's semblance was known as their phantasmal ability. This was something that, despite his years of training, Vincent had been unable to unlock. For the purposes of the story, I will, from now on, be utilizing familiar terms like aura and semblance. I know what you want, and I'm telling you right now. It isn't worth your life. You're no good to anyone dead, Vinny. Vincent considered this. He had always considered everything Sir Rosalind had told him. He knew that she was always honest with him, and that she would miss him dearly if he never returned. But he also knew that he had to try. If he didn't, he knew he would regret it until the end of his days. He turned away, pretending to busy himself stuffing clothes into a bag, unable to meet the thorny gaze from those piercing, silver eyes. I'm sorry, but I have to do this. She sighed. <laughs> Stubborn fool. Do what you must, but don't come complaining to me when you wind up dead. 
He heard the sounds of her heavy footsteps walking away that were soon accompanied by the slam of a door. She had gone out so quickly. He would have liked to say goodbye. However, he was grateful for one thing. He had written a letter before making the final preparations for his journey. Before her departure, Rosalind had agreed to deliver a letter on Vincent's behalf in the event that he did not return within a fortnight. He could never thank her enough for that. When the time had come to embark, he made his way toward the front door, but was stopped in his tracks. Resting against the dining room chair, Sir Rosalind's sword, Crimson Thorn, was resting in its scabbard. The sword was beautiful, with an intricately carved hilt depicting the rose, Rosalind's family crest. In addition to being her primary weapon, it was a precious family heirloom. She never ventured anywhere without that sword by her side. Vincent smiled. He picked up the sword and fastened the scabbard to his person and then walked out into the sun. The journey took him nearly a full week to make it to the outskirts of the mountainous region he sought, longer than he had expected. The dragon was rumored to have made its nest in a mountain cave near the ruins of a small town. The town had been a mining village, but the dragon had made short work of it. Now it was all abandoned, save for a few merchants looking to make unsavory deals. Luckily, Vincent had already used his meager savings to gather all of the dust, food, and medical supplies he thought he would need before he left. He didn't have to stay there for long before making his way to the nearby mountains. The stop did provide him with something he didn't have before the journey, however. For the first time, he could now see the destructive power of this creature. Anything that had been in this dragon's path had been utterly destroyed. The image of that destruction lingered in Vincent's mind as he made his way up the mountain, though he now believed he understood the extent of the creature's might. He knew he had come too far to let fear engulf him. It was around midday when he found himself at a plateau along the side of a mountain, the face of which opened up into the mouth of a large cave. Any doubt that this was the beast's domain vanished as he saw the plateau had been littered with broken swords and shields. There were no bodies, however, and this fact troubled Vincent. Though he knew this was a foolish endeavor, Vincent had no intention of proceeding without caution. Dragons were said to be as intelligent as humans, potentially even more so. He needed to be smart, as carefully as he could. Vincent found a suitable rock formation to hide behind at the edge of a clearing, one that provided cover and a clear vantage point of the cave. He began carefully setting down his supplies, but as he began his final preparations, that's when he heard it. Something was emerging from the cave. Slowly, and cautiously, he peered around the corner, but found himself utterly unprepared for the sight before him.
It was indeed a dragon emerging from the darkness. But something about it looked wrong. Its scales were discolored. What had clearly once been a vibrant green was now an ashen gray. Its eyes were vacant and glassy, devoid of any of the light he saw in any other creature. Its steps, though powerful, lacked a certain coordination he would have associated with the grace and terrifying beauty dragons possessed in stories and legends. Had the beast taken ill? Perhaps he wouldn't need to fight the monster at all. Perhaps it would simply waste away, and he could retrieve the heart unscathed after it had passed. But any plans for a peaceful encounter vanished. As the dragon's vacant gaze fell upon the rocks where Vincent was hiding, he ducked away. But even though he was certain the beast hadn't seen him, he could feel that somehow the dragon had sensed his presence. An icy dread seemed to wrap itself around his heart, engulfing him in a grip of pure, cold terror that he had never felt before. The shock was so great that he took an involuntary gasp of air, as one might after falling into an icy river. If the dragon did not know that Vincent was behind those rocks, it certainly knew now and it knew that he was afraid. A deep, earth-shaking rumble emanated from the dragon's throat. It was preparing to attack. All his hopes for developing a strategy were dashed. There was no more time to think. He had to act. Grabbing his shield and unsheathing Crimson Thorn, Vincent dashed away from his hiding place just in time to see it engulfed in flame from the dragon's breath. Though he ran as fast as his legs could carry him, he could not outrun the explosion from the dust crystals he had left at his former hiding place. The explosion lifted him off the ground and propelled him across the clearing. He landed hard against another pile of rocks, which gave way under the force of his fall. But luckily, his aura did not break. He scrambled to his feet. The dragon seemed to be momentarily distracted as the dust crystals continued to combust. It was now or never. Grabbing his teacher's sword in hand and mustering all of the courage in his heart, he charged toward the dragon with the speed and ferocity worthy of a true knight. He swung the blade with all his might, and to his horror, watched as the blade broke as it hit the creature's sickly scales. Crimson Thorn laid shattered as the force of his charge knocked Vincent off of his feet. He stared dumbfounded at the broken blade in his grasp. The dragon turned its empty gaze towards Vincent. The ground beneath him began to shake as it did before, only this time. Vincent could see light emanating from the dragon's throat through its sickly, pale scales. It was preparing to strike again. He had no plan. He had no semblance. He had no dust. He had no sword. 
The dragon opened its massive jaws, sending a torrent of flames directly toward Vincent. Numbly gripping his shield, Vincent held it before him just as the flames were starting to envelop him. The heat was overwhelming, the pain of which quickly began to rob him of his strength. He cried out in agony, but the sound was stifled against the raging fire. His shield was useless. His quickly dwindling aura was now all that stood between him and oblivion. What could he do? His heart began to race and his head began to swim as he found it harder and harder to take in breath. Panic struck him. Sir Rosalind had been right. He was a fool to come here. A stupid child pretending to be a knight. He was going to die here alone, his body reduced to ashes. All that would be left of him in this world would be cinders, and the memory of those he had left behind. Everything he was, everything he had been, gone. For the sake of a stupid wish that would never come to pass. A wish? That's right. It had been a wish that brought him here. A wish that had burned within him at the very center of his heart. It was that wish that pushed him into becoming a knight. That had driven him through years of grueling training. That now brought him to the edge of his very existence. He could not die here. He would not die until he had seen his wish come true. There was a shift in the air. Though the flames had raged around him, he no longer felt their heat. Instead, he felt the fire move through him, invigorating him, igniting a strength within him that he had never known. He had unlocked his semblance. The flames were now a part of him. His soul alight, his aura ablaze, Vincent rose to his feet. Holding tightly into the hilt, he extended the broken sword out before him. He willed the flames around him to shift and take shape. In a moment, where the broken blade had been was now a blade of pure iridescent flame. Grasping its hilt in both hands, Vincent charged once again toward the dragon. This time, he poured everything he had into a strike, his flaming sword an extension of his very soul, his love, his hopes, his pain, his sorrows, his dreams, and his fury. Everything within him burned in his hands brighter than the sun as he rushed toward the dragon. With a mighty cry, he swung the blade until it crashed against the dragon's scales at the base of its long neck. If the dragon was afraid, if it felt any pain, the eyes gave no such indication. They continued to peer vacantly at Vincent as he pressed the searing blade against the dragon's chest. There was a moment of resistance where it seemed as if this mighty blade couldn't be enough to pierce the dragon's hide. But it was only a moment. Vincent continued to push forward, and as he did, the dragon's scales gave way. The blade suffered no further resistance as it cut through the creature from the base of its neck 
to the tip of its tail. The beast was cleft in twain. As the halves of the dragon laid charred and smoking on the ground, the knight in training fell to one knee. After a moment, the blazing blade extinguished, leaving only a ruined hilt. Having unlocked a powerful semblance with no prior experience, Vincent had quickly burned through what remained of his aura. He felt faint. All of the fury and adrenaline of battle left him, giving way to exhaustion. His head swam, and darkness closed in around him. Vincent was not sure how long he had laid there in the dirt at the mouth of the dragon's den. But when he awoke, the sky was dark and littered with stars. His body ached terribly, but as he pulled himself up from the dirt, he felt a rush of triumph. He had done it! He had won! He had unlocked his semblance! He... His gaze fell upon the ruined hilt of Crimson Thorn that sat beside him in the dirt. Its blade demolished, and its intricate rose carvings melted away into an unrecognizable hunk of metal. He had utterly destroyed Sir Rosalind's sword. Brothers have mercy, Vincent said to no one in particular. I've made the greatest knight in the realm my enemy. Sir Rosalind will have my head for this! If she didn't kill him on the spot upon his return, then she would certainly make him wish that the dragon had killed him. He laughed to himself at the thought. Though he wasn't looking forward to having to explain the sword, he knew he couldn't wait to tell her about his semblance. She will be so proud. After a few more moments of resting his aching muscles, Vincent stood up and made his way to what remained of the dragon. The heart was there in the center of the dragon's charred remains. However, the heart didn't look like the heart of any creature he had ever seen. Vincent had been raised on a farm before starting his training as a knight, and even now that he was older, he had been on his fair share of hunting expeditions as well as trips to the local butcher. Though it wasn't charred, the heart itself was completely black, covered in what appeared to be thick, white plates and red spots. It stood in stark contrast to everything else about the dragon. Vincent felt his heart swell with pity. Clearly the dragon had indeed been sick. Much like a rabid animal can be extremely dangerous, perhaps the beast's poor health was what had caused it to rampage throughout the kingdom. If that were the case, what if the creature's heart still contained traces of this unknown ailment? Vincent looked around the plateau. Though his bag had been destroyed, he had managed to find another amid the detritus of broken weapons and shields. Being very careful not to touch the diseased heart with his bare hands, he carefully removed it from the body and placed it into the bag. He looked around the clearing as he began to retrieve what was left of his belongings. For a brief moment, he had considered stepping into the dragon's den and exploring the cave. After all, dragons were often rumored to hoard mountains of gold within their lairs. 
There could be a fortune waiting for him just a few short steps into the dark. He looked over the clearing once more, and noticed again the plethora of broken weaponry around him. It suddenly occurred to him how eerily silent it was. He gathered up his things and proceeded to head back down the mountain. It was better not to press his luck any further than he already had for one day. Returning home was more difficult than he expected. His bout with the dragon had robbed him of most of his strength. He could tell it was going to take some time before he fully recovered. Not only that, but he had lost most of his money and supplies. It took him nearly twice as long as the initial journey was to return. As he walked up to Sir Rosalind's doorstep, he blushed, remembering that she had promised to deliver his letter if he hadn't returned within a fortnight. She must have delivered it a week ago at this point. Feeling an odd mix of embarrassment and dread, Vincent knocked on her door. He had been right to fear her wrath at the news that he had destroyed her sword. He had prepared himself for that. What he hadn't prepared for was the nearly bone-shattering hug that she gave him upon opening the door. Even more surprising was the excitement she showed at the news of his semblance and of the dragon's defeat. She beamed brightly at him. We have to tell the royal family right away. They owe you a wish. The following day, Sir Rosalind formally presented Vincent to the court. He had felt his cheeks burn as she introduced him as her squire. He cast his eyes downward as Rosalind recounted the tale of his battle with the dragon. She made it seem much grander than the way he had initially told it to her. He knew that he had been extremely lucky in his endeavor, but she made it sound as if it were all bravery and valor. Is this true, young squire? asked the king. Vincent nodded and presented the bag containing the heart to one of Rosalind's lieutenants. He cautioned them to all be extremely careful, as the heart could potentially contain some harmful disease. Upon seeing the heart as proof of his great deed, the king and queen looked at one another and nodded. The heart was placed into a chest and sent off for safekeeping and further study. It seems we are in your debt, brave squire, announced the queen with a grin. And how shall we reward you for your service? I think it goes without saying that you have more than earned your title for knighthood. So consider that done. Sir Valentino, what is it you desire? Vincent felt the warmth in his cheeks spread to his entire face. Your Highness, it is my sworn duty to serve the realm and to... Yes, yes, she said with a dismissive wave, her smile broadening. You have done more than enough for this kingdom, young man. You may dispense with the formalities. Please, Vincent, what is your wish? The queen addressing him by his first name caught the young knight completely off guard. As Sir Rosalind's squire, he had been no stranger to the royal family, but hearing the queen address him with such warmth was something to which he was unaccustomed. He looked to the queen and then to the king. He swallowed hard and tried to find the right words. Yes, your highness. I would be more than happy to, um, 
but I, uh, I, I can't help but notice that the whole royal family isn't in attendance. The king looked at the queen quizzically. Her smile was unwavering. You'll have to excuse Prince Julius. He received word a few days ago that a dear friend had passed away, and he had asked to be excused from today's meeting. Vincent shot a look over at Sir Rosalind. She winked at him. I see, Vincent said stiffly. If it's all right with you, your highness, I would like to submit my request with the prince in attendance. The queen nodded and waved at an attendant to fetch the prince. What happened next all seemed like a blur when Vincent recalled it later. After what seemed like an eternity, but was most likely only a few minutes, the prince burst into the room. He was completely out of breath, having run straight to the throne room at the words, Sir Valentino is here. For a moment, no one spoke. The prince stared at the kneeling knight in disbelief. Finally, the silence was broken as the queen cleared her throat. Prince Julius, still red-faced, took his place beside his parents. Well, Sir Valentino, we are all in attendance. What is it you wish to have? Vincent took a breath. Everyone in the kingdom of Vale had loved the prince, and Vincent was no exception. Your Majesties, I wish to marry Prince Julius. All my life I have worked to become a knight, to be by his side. I have even been fortunate enough to call him my friend throughout my time as a squire. I would gladly give my life for him. But if I could have any wish, I would wish to share my life with him. That is, only if the prince wishes it as well. A murmur arose throughout the courtyard. Everyone had assumed the knight would wish for wealth and a title. After all, that was why all of those mercenaries had pursued the dragon. The prince shot up from his seat and rushed over to his friend. He took Vincent's hand. How could I refuse a request from the kingdom's greatest hero, let alone my dearest friend? Nothing would make me happier than to share my life with yours. A cheer erupted from the crowd as Prince Julius lifted Vincent to his feet and kissed him. As the entire court began to cheer and applaud, the king leaned in toward his wife and whispered to her, Did you know this was going to happen? Not exactly, she replied in a hushed tone. But that's one of the benefits of having a semblance such as mine. Obviously, we can't rely on my good luck for everything, but I had a feeling we were making the right decision. Clearly, you were right. I can't think of a more suitable match. And it is here where you might expect me to say they all lived happily ever after. And you wouldn't be wrong. The knight and the prince did indeed live out their lives together happily, and the story of their love is celebrated to this day throughout Remnant. For the rest of their days, any time the two were parted, 
Prince Julius would always reread the letter Vincent had written to him before leaving to fight the dragon. The letter had revealed how sorry he was to have to leave, how much he loved the prince, and was signed from your Valentine. But there is more to this tale. After Prince Julius accepted Sir Valentino's proposal, the king and queen decided to host a banquet to celebrate their engagement. Invitations to the party were sent out to the lords and ladies throughout the four kingdoms. King Claudius and Princess Aconite had received their invitations with considerably less enthusiasm than any of the other guests. They were both furious. But the king knew he couldn't go to war over this slight. The king and queen of Vale had promised a wish to the one who would vanquish the dragon. Every knight and mercenary he had sent to the dragon's domain had not returned. He knew that his hands were tied, and there was clearly a danger in challenging the knight that could vanquish that monster that had dispatched his greatest warriors. The princess, however, was less convinced. In spite of her furious tantrum, King Claudius insisted that they both attend the engagement party. Relations between Vale and Atlas were on thin ice, and rebuking the invitation would do them no favors. An air of bitterness surrounded the princess as they traveled across the kingdom's borders. Upon arriving at the party, the princess sequestered herself in the corner of the ballroom, completely wrapped up in a cocoon of envy and disappointment. Everyone else at the party seemed utterly elated, completely oblivious to her discontent. It was only when King Asterius began making a toast to the happy couple that the vain Atlesian princess decided to take her leave. Storming out of the room in a jealous rage, she left the party and began to wander through the lengthy castle corridors. It just wasn't fair, she thought to herself. Prince Julius was the most handsome prince in all of Remnant. By her own estimation, she was the most beautiful princess who had ever lived. How could Julius have possibly preferred a simple commoner over her? What had this knight done that was so great? It didn't make any sense. She deserved him. Yes, you, you do. do. The princess stopped in her tracks. Had she heard a voice just now? She looked around and noticed for the first time that she was alone. While lost in thought, she had wandered in a part of the castle she didn't recognize. She hadn't been paying attention to the path it... Where was she? Where did that voice come from? Had it even been a voice at all? She took in the scenery before her. Despite the dim light, she could see that she had wandered into a long hallway far from the festivities of the banquet. The hallway came to an abrupt end and the princess found herself in front of a large, wooden door. Hello? She called out. Is someone there? No reply came, but the princess felt a sudden change in the air. Suddenly, a wave of emotion washed over her, the anger and bitterness she had felt since receiving news of Julius's engagement seemed to envelop her completely. 
Rage and bitter loneliness seemed to emanate from deep inside her with such ferocity that it physically pained her. Her heart began to race, and her eyes filled with furious, petulant tears. She would have cried out if another feeling hadn't washed over her as quickly as the ones that came before. Prince Julius could still be yours. Everything your heart had ever desired. Everything your heart could ever desire can be yours. The remedy for your woes is right behind this very door. The tears falling from her eyes vanished as quickly as they had come. Her heart rate slowed. The light in her eyes seemed to dim, as though in a dream. She reached out her hand and opened the door. The room before her was dark, but the low light from the hall was more than enough to illuminate a wooden chest at the center of the room. She could feel power radiating from it. The chest pulsed out in a steady rhythm that seemed to be in time with the beating of her own heart. The answer is here. She stepped into the dark and opened the chest. The ghastly sight of a black beating heart did nothing to alter her course as she reached inside to take it. You will be mine. Little did she know that that was the last thought she would have before grabbing hold of the heart and sealing her fate. An earth-shattering scream ripped through the castle. The music and merry chatter from the ballroom came to an abrupt halt at the sound. The guests looked at one another with bewilderment. Sir Rosalind turned to her subordinates and began issuing orders to search the castle for the source of the commotion. Before they could comply, another scream pierced the air. This one came from the entrance of the ballroom. The room burst into a cacophony of shrieks and cries as all eyes fell on the entryway. There stood the princess. Her once beautiful skin was now ashen and sickly. Her once vibrant green eyes were empty pools of black ichor. Her silver dress had been drenched in red. Her ribcage appeared to have been prayed open like a hunting trap, exposing the black beating heart that now sat where the princess's heart had once been. The sound of cracking bones rang throughout the room as Aconite's exposed injuries seemed to be closing and mending themselves, hiding the heart once again behind a barrier of flesh and bone. The princess was dead. In her place stood the forlorn. The empty gaze of this monstrosity passed vacantly over the crowd of panicking party guests until it fell upon the sight of Prince Julius. The creature stepped forward, but stopped abruptly as Sir Vincent stepped in its path, brandishing a blade of flame as he had during their last encounter. The forlorn gave an unearthly wail that shook the halls of the castle, but Sir Vincent did
didn't waver. Whether it was this creature crying out at the sight of the flaming sword that had destroyed its previous vessel, or what was left of the princess crying out in lonely anguish, no one could say for certain. Regardless of the reason, Vincent kept his eyes locked on the monster that stood before him. The Grim and the Knight stared at one another for what felt like an eternity to all of those looking on. Vincent took one step forward as if to ready an attack. The Forlorn stumbled backwards and turned away. In the blink of an eye, the horrifying visage that used to be Princess Aconite fled the castle leaving a path of destruction in its wake. It ran out into the night, wailing a cry that filled everyone who heard it with a strange mix of terror and pity. The princess was never seen again, but the people of Remnant have never forgotten what happened to her on that night. Grim have always been known to be drawn to negative emotions, but no other Grim has been known to be so insidious. To use such negativity to draw in its prey like a moth to a flame. Your own selfish desires being used to lure you towards it. To willingly walk into a state of living death as your heart is consumed is a danger of which everyone should be wary. Love is a wonderful thing and deserves to be celebrated. But when you seek only to possess the object of your desire, you put yourself and others at risk of being consumed by your own selfishness. In the many years that have passed since the princess lost her heart, it is said that the forlorn returns to the kingdom of Vale every year on the day that the engagement party was held, seeking another heart to consume. That day became known as Valentine's Day. Named after the brave hero who first vanquished the creature, it is a day in which we honor the love we share for one another and fear the destruction that desire can rot. Humanity seems to always find unusual coping mechanisms to deal with the horrors of this world. Since the Forlorn seeks to devour your heart, in modern times, children have taken to the tradition of creating paper hearts and giving them to those they love, along with some candy. Because when do children not choose to make candy a part of special occasions? So take heed this year. Be wary of dark shadows, both around you and within. Stay close to those you love. And if the Forlorn comes for you on this night, you had better hope to have a valentine handy, so that you can bestow it with a heart that is not your own. And perhaps some marvelous sweets. Good night, Vale. Good night. That's it. That's the last of the tapes we have in our archives for when Bill is out of the office. Already? I could have sworn there was another box around here somewhere. Are you sure there aren't any more? We actually would have worked our way through this one even faster if someone hadn't kept interrupting our broadcasts with unsolicited commentary. It's not my fault they were telling the stories wrong. Merlot, you know I adore listening to Bill's voice, but humans never ever seem to get the fondest creation stories right. And don't even get me started on that one about the moon. Petra, please, don't. 
it doesn't matter anyway. The fairy tale collection was actually the station's last resort for content. I mean, it worked out today on account of the holiday. But with Bill still missing, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, I mean, I could- Do not finish that sentence. So, there still hasn't been any sign of them? Of Bill? No one's seen or heard from them since you pulled your little stunt. You're still angry about that? I've been doing everything I can to get to the bottom of this mystery. I've even had our scarecrow friend searching the city high and low for clues. Oh, I'm sure. Why are you even here right now anyway? You don't work here. There's no need to be upset. I was only trying- For the last time, we don't need your help. No one needs your help. Because the only one you really ever seem to want to help is yourself. It's not my fault. Whatever helps you sleep at night, Petra. Do you think it's true? What? The story, the, um, grim monster in it, the forlorn. Do you think it's real? Outside of the story, there's no record of any grim that literally eats your heart and ambulates your corpse. But there are certainly documented cases of similar grim. The chill, geists... I suppose you could always ask Riley if you're curious. That's alright. Wouldn't want to be a bother. I don't suppose it really matters, though. If it's real, it sounds like you don't really have anything to worry about. Unless you possess an envious heart. Good thing we don't know any entitled jerks like that, huh? Of course. How silly. Anyway... I've got to head out. Big plans for Valentine's Day? Oh, you know, full night ahead. I'm going to take a stroll through town, swing by a simple walk for a bite. No! I'm going to keep looking for Bill. I can't just sit back and do nothing while they're still missing. They said they'd talk to management about bringing me on full time, and... I need that Lien. By yourself? Nonsense. I'll join you. No. You've done enough. I don't need your... No. That's not necessary. Look. Why don't you just head over to the break room and work on your next book or something? If you stick around, you can probably catch station management when they wrap up. Wouldn't want you to miss your big break. Right. Of course. Good night, Petra. Good night, Merlot. Happy Val-